0: Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and as a family, we seek to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our community. We hope you'll subscribe.
1: reading is from Hosea chapter 1 verse 1 through chapter 2 verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea son of Beri during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah kings of Judah and during the reign of Jeroboam son of Jehoash king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea the Lord said to him go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, but not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Loruhama, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Loami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land. For great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved ones. Amen. there. I don't know why I can't
2: remember that. Just one thing. Again, good morning to you. Uh, This is uh, about the beginning of my third month here. I want to uh, thank you for your warm welcome to my wife Kathy and I, uh, to be part of your community. We uh, love being part of LSQ and living in the city. It's uh, been a desire of ours, and God Uh, worked it out after many years uh, to come here. Would you take a moment and uh, pray with me? Father, we pray that you might open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see you, that the only uh, thing we hear is your uh, calling of our hearts, that we might be transformed by the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, Ernest Hemingway's a book called uh, Capital of the World, he tells the story of a father and son who have become estranged from one another. Hemingway doesn't tell us why they're estranged, just that they are. And it got so bad that the, the son ran away from home. This is in uh, Spain, so he ran away uh, to Madrid to become a bullfighter, which is a, a pretty dangerous sport. And so the father... Uh, goes to look for his son he's searching uh, for him in the big city of madrid but can't find him on the streets and so he has the idea in desperation uh, to take an ad out in the local uh, city newspaper and the ad uh, simply said this paco uh, meet me at hotel montana at noon on tuesday all is forgiven love papa and Hemiway goes on and on and says on that Tuesday at noon, when the father showed up at the hotel, there were 800 Pacos waiting for him. I tell that story because it's our story. Our story of how God has been wooing, welcoming, and calling us to meet him. You know, every religion that I know of teaches that We are to pursue God. In fact, every religion I know gives us a way, a method, a means, a path to pursue God. Even evangelical Christians have turned Christianity in our pursuit of God. But the reality is, the Bible teaches not of pursuing people. Actually, it depicts humanity as a runaway bride but always pictures God as a pursuing God. One who pursues after us because he loves us. A title, The Message, Gospel Beauty, because the gospel, which is good news of God's pursuit of runaway children to bring them home. How beautiful that picture is. As far as we have run, as hard as we have run, God is faithful to pursue us, to go where we have gone to bring us home. Now, some of you might be skeptical. You might be skeptical, first of all, that I am referring to you, or the Bible is referring to you as a runaway child. Okay, you don't experience that feeling of running away, but listen to the story and see if it fits. And then maybe you're skeptical that God is pursuing you. That's not been your experience. It hasn't always been my experience that God has been running after me. It doesn't seem. And so if you will allow me to make a couple of assertions and and deal with those doubts, I think I can prove those two assertions. But in order to do that, let me give you a little context to Hosea, because we just read one chapter, but it's, it's quite a, a, a lengthy story. The context is, um, under King David, uh, all of Israel was unified uh, through some military uh, battles and some victories, but it became one people, one nation, it, but it doesn't reach its zenith of power until his son Solomon takes over. You know, the guy who wrote uh, so much of the Old Testament. But it was his sons, Solomon's sons, after Solomon is gone, that divide the kingdom into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is often called uh, Israel, and the southern kingdom is often called Judah. The ten Uh, tribes. If Israel had 12 tribes, 10 of them are in the north and two of them in the south. And so what was a powerful and influential uh, nation among nations became quite weak because it divided. And because of that, they became quite afraid. And fear becomes an, an incredible motivation to do something to leave those fears. And so what they would do is they would begin to make alliances with other powerful nations because they were afraid that eventually some nation would come in, invade them, and take them over. And so they made all these alliances. But one of the things that happens when you get too close to another people, another culture, is that you begin to adapt. You begin to accommodate. And that's exactly what Israel, they became to assimilated. And because of that, they took on not just some of their cultural values, which is neutral maybe, possibly, but they also began to worship some of their gods, even though God told them not to do it, and even though God had given them plenty of opportunity to see how faithful he had been in the past, uh, they relied on these nation states to protect them. Well, sure enough, one of the great powers of the ancient world was a place called Assyria, and Assyria was threatening these ten tribes in the north. And so God raises up one of their own people, a guy named Hosea, to come and be a spokesman for him to remind them of how they are running from him to, to align themselves with these other nations rather than turning uh, toward him. To remind them of their brokenness And his willing pursuit to bring them home. And so let me make these couple of assertions that I mentioned a little earlier. The first assertion is this. This story about a broken marriage reveals that we are all profoundly broken people. Though this story of Hosea is not about marriage. It is that this marriage points us to our brokenness. In fact, the Bible is filled with these heart-wrenching, broken stories of people's lives and God's intervention into their story. Hosea is not just a prophet, but he's a single person and in the ancient world. The only single people were not by choice. It was by circumstance of life that he was, and so it complicated his ability uh, uh, to live in this ancient world. Not only was he out there saying, thus saith the Lord, and not everybody receiving that very well, uh, but also he, he carried the stigma of that day of being single. So God came to him and said, Hosea, I've got the girl for you. I want you uh, to be married. I want you to go uh, to this woman, Gomer, and marry her. You see that in verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. You see this mirror of Israel. The text uses this phrase, promiscuous woman. And and often the Bible, when it translates into English, uh, tries to uh, give euphemisms or at least a nicer way to say something. But really what is being said here is that she is the town prostitute. Her reputation is not good in town. In fact, she is not just sleeping around, but she's sleeping around uh, for money, for livelihood, for bread to eat, a place to stay. For feeling this hole of love in her heart. And, and God says, this is who I want my prophet to marry. Because she best illustrates where my people are with their heart toward me. They've turned to these nations rather than to me. And so this is the picture that he's giving uh, uh, about Hosea. That his very marriage, not just his words, but his very marriage is a living metaphor for people's brokenness. Imagine Hosea going home and telling his family, uh, hey, mom, dad, I, I'm getting married, and that's supposed to be a, a joyous time, and, and so let's throw a party, let's have her come over and, and meet the family. And, and, and then he brings into the room, and, and you, can, you can hear what was joy is now deafening silence. Because everybody knows Gomer in town. And 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 so at the table you can hear mom saying, Hey, I said marry a good Jewish girl. I didn't mean this one. No, you're not. And sure enough, he does marry Gomer. And then they begin to start having Children, Our text uh, tells us, beginning in verse 3 and 4, and, and, and God has given the names of these children. And the, and the first one I want you to name your firstborn boy, I want you to call him Jezreel, which literally is translated judgments. Because every boy and girl in Israel are taught the story of the fall of Jericho. Where there was one man who was supposed to be part of this band that took this city, but he held some stuff for himself, some treasure, treasure for himself, and, and God judged him for that, and so that was called Jezreel. Can you imagine as this little boy is playing on the playground? And everybody's calling him judge or judgment. Judgment you know it's it's the equivalent of naming your kid Auschwitz or Rwanda to call him Jezreel Gomer conceives again and but this time there is no mention of being Hosea's child there's no in verse 6 there's no possessive pronoun so it doesn't say Hosea's child or my child it just says A child is born, this time a girl, and God says, name her Lohruamah, which is literally translated, you're not loved. So every time this little girl's name is called out, it is a reminder that she is not loved.
0: At LSQ, we value questions and the people who ask them which is why we hold a time of question and response or Q and R after our Sunday worship service each week. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and church leaders. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq@redeemer.com or join us for worship on Sunday. You can find out more details on our website by visiting lincolnsquareredeemercom worship. Now, let's get back to this week's episode.
2: Then there's a third child, another boy in verse 8, and this time, God says, I want you to name this child Lo-Ami, which is literally cha- translated, you are not mine. You're not my people. We are not together. So every time one of his buddies uh, said, Loa he is reminded that he has no one who calls him mine. In the following chapters, we learn that Gomer has in fact returned to her old lifestyle. We had hints of it through the children, but now fully in the chapters that follow chapter 1, she has returned to her days of following after men who would promise her uh, uh, her heart's desire if she would just give them what they wanted. And she started out having them on the side, and, and it's not long before she's living with them. And soon enough, she grows too old for this profession, this popping around from lover to lover to the point where the last guy who doesn't want her anymore says the only thing that she is good for is to be sold on an auction block as a slave so we find her in chapter 3 of this of hosea on an auction block naked destitute and without family and friends to be sold as a slave because hosea's brokenness is now complete You know, mirrors have a double edge to them. We love them because they show what we want to see. But mirrors also show what we don't want to see. And so here God has taken a marriage between Hosea and Gomer and said, it's a mirror. Yeah, it shows you what you want to see, but it also shows you what you don't want to see. Your profound brokenness is real. In fact, Hosea chapter 2 starts out this way. Let me just read a little portion of it. He says, Say to your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one, rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land, and slay her with a thirst. Here we say and he's saying not only is Gomer broken, but Gomer only points to my people who are broken too. They are now naked, desolate, and without family and friends. Brokenness is complete in Gomer, but it's also complete in Israel. Because it is not long before Assyria invades and takes and scatters and destroys these ten tribes never to return. Their greatest fear comes true and 70 years or almost 100 years later, Babylon does the same thing to the southern two tribes, carries them off into bondage. If that was the end of the story we say well that was ancient Israel that, that's so long ago it doesn't represent anything today it's not about present but the problem is it's not Gomer and Hosea are not just a, a mirror to Israel but it's a mirror to us many many centuries later Gomer chased after her lovers Israel chased after their lovers how about us do we ever get scared Do we ever feel like we're never going to get what we want most out of this life? Do we ever try to shortcut God's plan in order to get what we want, when we want it, and how we want it? Have we ever been willing to jettison our, even what we know about God's good plan for us, in order to get what we want now? Have you ever turned to something or someone who promised you love or success or acceptance, Because you wanted those things more than anything else. Including your relationship with God. The Bible calls those things idols. You see, loving people, places, and things is good. Because God loves people, places, and things. You know, after he creates things in Genesis 1, he repeats this over and over again. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And in fact, in, in John 3, he says, For God so loved the world. The Greeks almost won the day here in modern America. That there's good things and bad things. And God looks at all things that he has created and calls them good. The problem isn't loving people, places, and things. It's always in loving people, places, and things too much. More than. Than our love for God. To appreciate them more. And the word appreciate means to give value. Which is very close to the word worship. You see, we never have to teach people to worship in the world. We do that innately. It's built into our hearts to give worth to the things that we love. We do that by nature, whether we're Christians or not. All the gospel does is transform what we worship. We don't just make idols out of things that we want desperately, that we don't have. But we also make idols out of the things that we don't have. And we also worship things that we have that we don't want to lose. You see, sometimes we've got these precious things, people, places, and things that we love and and, and are good, but when they become threatened, We hold tightly, but in order to hold tightly onto those things, we have to loosen our hold on God. It's a good thing He doesn't loosen His hold on us, but it does. We are willing sometimes to jettison or to sacrifice our relationship with God in order to have these things or to keep these things, these people, these places that we uh, love more. The truth is, there's nothing in your life, people, place, or thing, that can handle the freight of your worship. They weren't meant to. They're, they're creations. Only the creator can carry the freight of worth. But because we give them to these people, places, and things, they disappoint us, and, and the love is crushed under that kind of weight of expectation. They were never meant to be our ultimate. They were always meant to be the penultimate. They are always meant to point us to the ultimate. They are appetizers, but we're settling as if they're the main course. You've been to those restaurants, you go into the restaurant and, and, you, and, and, you, and you ask for an appetizer and it is as big as an entree. And the, the waiter or the waitress wonders why you don't order an entree. That's not what people, places, and things are meant to be. They're meant to be those four little bitty shrimp and cocktail sauce. And before you know it, you've gobbled. Well, if you're in the company of others, you share, and so you only get two. And you are wondering, where's the rest of these things? That's what people, places, and things are meant to be for you. The best people in your life, the best places in your life, and the best things in your life are only to make your mouth water for God. Does this sound just a little bit like you? You know, preachers up here, we often wonder, does anybody think like we do? And so when we begin to describe that we're all broken... Can you see just a little bit that you have put too much love in people, places, and things at the expense of your love for God? If you can just see a little bit of that in you, then you are in good company. Herman Melville is is known for this great quote in Moby Dick, and Presbyterians love it, where it goes and he says this. He says, Heaven have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike, for we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and are sadly in need of mending. We all are broken and in need of a healing. There's a prophet that was like Hosea, about the time of Hosea, who said this, all of us are like sheep. We have all gone astray, each one of us our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of sin of us all to fall on him. Well, that's the, the bad news or the assertion of the bad news is that one of the things it means to be human now since the fall is that we're broken and we're cracked about the head and we need mending. As bad as the bad news is bad, the good news is Better. The second assertion I want to make this morning is the story about a broken marriage reveals a God who pursues in order to heal broken people at a great personal cost to himself. Chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says this, Therefore I am now going to allure her. I love that. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make her, the valley of Achor, a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of Egypt. It says that God is going to woo His people. I love that. We don't use that word. It's kind of an old word. But the whole idea that you would spend time to woo somebody, to lure somebody to you. That's kind of what the Father and uh, Hemingway's story he did. He went to, to downtown Madrid to lure his son Paco back. And he found 800 who wanted to be lured. Who wanted to be wooed. For Judah, the southern kingdom, they will read the advertisement in the paper, all is forgiven, come home. And they don't. Israel does not return. But Judah, after 70 years of being wooed by God, do come back. God pursues runaways. God is pursuing us, even at a great personal cost to himself. Chapter 3, God again comes to Hosea, and he asks him to do the unthinkable. You see, Gomer's left him for other lovers. She's on the auction block to be sold naked in front of the entire town. And God comes to him, and chapter 3 says, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is adulterous, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Did you hear the, the equality there? Gomer, I mean, Hosea, I want you to love Gomer the way I love my people, go and buy them back. You be the one who purchase her. Let it cost you. Hosea goes to the auction in great shame to stand there. Everybody in town knows what Gomer has been doing and why she's on the auction block. And the husband comes to buy her back. Rather than giving her certificate of divorce, he says, no, you are mine and you'll be my wife again. Hosea's name literally means salvation. The reason it's so significant is that in the New Testament, Jesus is a Greek name for Joshua, which means salvation. And Hosea is a shortened form of Joshua. Hosea didn't just go to the auction block to save Gomer. He went to the auction block to point to Jesus can I show you just briefly something that should make you jump out of your seats? It's right here in this text. And and we Presbyterians, we don't move in worship. We don't know what to do when someone says something this profound. But back in in chapter 2, verse 15, it says, I will make the valley of Acor into a door of hope. Hosea is referring to that place where Achan was judged and wiped from the face of the earth. And he says, I'm going to turn that kind of place into a door of hope for salvation. Where did that happen in human history? Where is the place where God takes the place of judgment and turns it into a door of hope? Oh yeah, you're right. Golgotha. It's called the place of the dead, the skulls, because there is where the Romans would take their prisoners and crucify them. They would judge them and kill them. And God chose that place of judgment to put His Son on a cross that He might empty His entire wrath, His entire judgment for His people's sins. For their runaway brides might at that moment be a place of hope. You see how beautiful that gospel is? That God would say, the only way I'm going to heal you of your brokenness, the only way I'm going to make you right, is I've got to break my son. I've got to put him in your place. You should have been on the cross. You should have been at Golgotha. You should have been there. But instead of you, because I want you. I bought you. You are my people. He took the judgment for us that we might know the love that God has for us. We don't have to be like Israel and never return. He's made a door by which we can come in and be home. Why? Why would a God ever do something like that? Why would he judge his son? Why would he break his son in order that we might be healed? Because he loves us. And you will spend eternity tasting that love. Hemingway's story of Paco is so moving to us because we long to be pursued. I love it. I love when people woo me. I know you do. It's built in us. But if we experience that love, if we taste that love, if we consume that love in our heart, it will change everything about us. I promise it will. You know, if you've ever had Swiss chocolate, you can't go back to Hershey's. If you've had a real steak, like at Ruth's Chris. You can't go to Sizzler anymore. If you taste God's love, every other love in your life pales in comparison. doesn't mean you abandon those loves. It just puts them in perspective. It treats them as the appetizers that they are. If you have already entered the door of hope, I want you to know that does not prevent you from chasing after lovers again. There will be people you want in your life. There will be places you want to be. There will be things you want to have. And you'll be tempted to forsake your relationship with God to get them. And maybe you've got them already in your life, but the fear of losing them will make you abandon your relationship with God and run. So what do you do about that? Still hear Him call. He's pursuing you right where you are, no matter what you have done. Even though you profess to be a Christian, even though you have, remember the time in which you were uh, baptized and brought into the life of the church, you still run far and yet God is wooing you back home. He's put the advertisement in his Bible. Paco, all is forgiven. Come home. Maybe you have not yet tasted the love of God. You haven't encountered God in this way. Maybe you doubt God can even love you like this. Maybe you like the idea of a God like this. You just not have known a God like this. You've got questions. You've got you've got doubts. What do you do? Keep coming. Keep showing up. Keep asking your questions. You are in the right place. We not only value your questions, we value you because we want to introduce you to a pursuing God who's after you. He's going to chase you as far as you can run. In fact. You can't run so far that God can't go there. He's proven that. We have the story. Can you not remember? He's done that to all of us. He's gone as far as we will run. And he's willing to go even further. Let's see the gospel beauty together. Let's remind each other that God is pursuing us. Let's walk alongside each other as we try desperately to get what we want, when we want, how we want it, even at the expense of a relationship with God. And to call each other home. Be willing to take the ad in the paper. To call the runaway brides home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You are so generous and so gracious to us. We did not deserve for you to come after us. We've already communicated that we think we can do this on our own, that we've got to have what we think is the most important to us. We've turned appetizers into entrees and thought that was all that there was to life, and yet you want to give us so much more. C.S. Lewis has taught us that we rather would play with the mud pies than enjoy the ocean before us that you have made. Help us, Father, to come home to you. No matter what's happened in our lives, no matter whether we know you, but we feel far from you, let us come home, and maybe, Father, that some just have great questions of whether you are willing to pursue. Show yourself. Help them see the ad in the paper of you calling them home. All is forgiven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com